Here's a news flash. Surprise, surprise. Well, look at you. The whole world is watching for my next move. Oh my God. Times have changed. There are no rules. You're gonna love it. Hey, and welcome to Skip Intro, the podcast from Binge, all about the world's best television. My name is John Bowen, here with Ali Herbert Burns, and together we look after all the great TV and movies that you see on Binge. Each week, we're here to discuss the biggest new shows on Binge, with a special focus at the moment on the biggest show in the world. But Ali, we are joined by a special guest. What are we talking about, and who is our guest this week? Well, let's start with our very special guest. We've got J-Mo, the entertainment editor from Sydney's Daily Telegraph, the expert in all things TV, movies and goss, who is joining us to talk about episode five. Our regular podcast listeners may remember that he joined us a few weeks ago to talk about the premiere. So great to have you here, J-Mo. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'm feeling very special. <laughs> repeat, our first repeat guest. And then we've got episode five of House of the Dragon, of course, to talk about and what an episode it was. And then we're going to be talking about a new comedy special that's coming to binge by the Australian comedian Jimmy Reese, a special comedy concert of his that we've got to come up. And we're going to get J-Mo's dinner party recommendations, those must-watch shows deep from the binge library. Awesome. Well, let's jump into episode five of House of the Dragon. From my blood come the prince that was promised. I wish to propose a marriage. My daughter and heir. A royal wedding. I hope to herald in second age of dragons. Our nearest succession will be challenged. Okay, so we are officially at the halfway point of House of the Dragon. Episode five brought with it a lot of things, mainly some weddings, some deaths, and some forbidden love. I don't know where we want to start. Can we start with how are we halfway through already? How are we up to F5? That's that's shocking. (laughs) (laughs) What? It's unbelievable to me. This is crazy. Where has everything gone? I want more, more, more. More, more, more. Well, John, your opening comments make it sound like we are back to the roots of Game of Thrones (laughs) with weddings and forbidden love and death, but there was quite a, a death scene to open up um, this episode there. Spoilers, everybody. We will be going through it in detail. Yes. So Damon's wife, who's not made too many appearances to date, does open this episode, although she does not survive very long. But it is by far not the most graphic death that you're going to see in this episode, but we will get to that in a second. It's actually good that Jemo's back because in episode one, we talked about the good and the evil and all these characters. And one isn't necessarily pure evil and pure kindness. And I think this is a really good example of seeing a darker side of Damon come out. I think we've seen a lot of dark sides of Damon throughout the whole thing. And, and I think more so at that first episode that we saw, we were like pondering whether or not the king, Viserys, is is, is a bad dude. And obviously there's bad sides. That first episode is still harrowing the birth scene where he had to choose the possibility of having a male heir over his the love of his life. That was a gruesome, awful scene. But you could almost understand it while finding it difficult. He's become the good guy for the most part, misunderstood male, doesn't understand his daughter, you know, difficult relationship there. But Damon, in my mind, is very clearly the bad guy. So he's a baddie. Then the other big thing I think that we have in this episode is the setting up of the political challenge and the risk that's to come. I think you really see in Alison and Queen Alison's character as her father is being exiled and sent away, Otto Hightower, falling after his falling out with the king, his speech to her about the warning and the reality of what she needs to be aware of in the years to come, I thought was a really, um, you almost saw the naive youth-like of her leave in that scene 
didn't you? She really, it was a, if that wasn't a grounding or a wake up call to what might be ahead and the real competition around the throne between her own children and and those, of course, of Princess Renea. So I thought that was also a really cool scene before he rode off into the sunset. I wonder if we'll see him again soon. And then just in terms of plot points, uh, last episode did end with the king sort of giving up on the idea that Rhaenyra would be able to find her own match in life and basically just saying, nope, you are going to marry Valerian. We see that sort of come to fruition this episode. There's a bit of like, like arranged marriages, like, let's go for a walk on the beach and get to know each other. What you very quickly realize on that beach is that they are going to um, get married for the duty, for the crown, but then they are going to continue to have their own uh, little side lives, which is very progressive of them in some ways. Very progressive. Yes. And then a different kind of, yeah, coupling up on the beach happens later in that scene, doesn't it? Which, yeah, I think we can say our first outwardly gay character in House of the Dragon as, yeah, Princess Renee's soon-to-be husband. Um, yeah. Lainor um, and his, um, yeah, boyfriend, I guess. And his boyfriend, boyfriend. yeah. So they've, they're each going to have, a, you know, a different sexual journey outside of, yeah, the arrangement of their marriage, but effectively marrying their cousin. Which at this point is like, one of the least worst possible options <laughs> that you can explore. So much incest going on. I'm fascinated by this. We spoke offline about gay characters and whether or not they were in any Game of Thrones, and I've been doing a mad Google, yes. and there were. There were quite a few, certainly um, innuendo about it, and um, definitely people were saying that, that there were characters. I mean, you could say that Yara Greyjoy, Brienne of Tarth, was Brienne of Tarth gay or not? I don't know. There's definitely stuff going on there. Um, I think, I think, and there was a Daenerys scene where Daenerys alluded, I, I'm, I, I'm trying to rack my brain, but there definitely was, wasn't Renly Baratheon in a same sex, something going on there as well. Some people criticized House of the Dragon before it was even released saying it was so woke because it was all of this sort of stuff. And I'm proudly awake. So I have no problem with someone calling me woke, but I just think it's ridiculous that, that a show like this would represent a world, any world, because there are gay people in the world, you know? So it's not, it's not a surprise to me that there's gay characters. So far. Here. It's true though, isn't it? And in, in medieval times and all times, it's, you know, it's part of history. So, yeah, I was really glad to see it. I thought it was interesting. I, I mean, where it goes in the episode is quite distressing. Yeah. So do we want to talk about how that came about? That, to me, is been the most gory scene. I don't know if I'm just not used to seeing a lot of violence. Like I kind of gasped and took a, a minute to catch my breath. I didn't understand it. I didn't know where it was coming from. So we're talking about the scene, the wedding, where Sir Kristen basically gets a knife and smashes the face in of... Lena Valerian's lover, um, because Lena Valerian's lover basically pulls him aside and says, we're both, you know, I know your secret. I know that you and Princess Rhaenyra are hooking up. Well, I've got a secret. So this works for all of us. Right. And then five minutes later, he's yeah. smashing his I head. Agree. Like, I, I don't understand where that came from. No, either do I. Cause I read the scene as like, Oh, you know, these two people with this shared secret, you know, they'll take it to the Literally. grave or whatever. It actually all seemed quite neat. The future King and Queen were going to have their side lovers and it was all going to be a secret and everything would be good. And then five minutes later, you're seeing one of the most like graphic 
beatings I've ever seen on TV where this guy's face is just beaten into a pulp and it's bashed into his skull. Yeah. And why was he so angry? Well, yeah. So what I saw is that so Kristen is, you know, clearly a man of morals. He has proposed to Princess Renea and she's rejected that um, for her duty. She, you know, she knows that a, a good and, and secure marriage for other reasons is, is what her duty is. And I think he's just such a principled person. The lover is saying it's good. Well, you know, and I think it just represents to him what he doesn't want, that he wants so much more than that. He wants a proper union and a full relationship ah. with Princess Renea and the kind of like sexualized convenient affair is almost it's representing everything that he 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 wants more than that and, and I think it was also just probably the build up of his anger and his hurt of the rejection and seeing her at this wedding hall and the power of that scene beforehand with the eyes over the room and everyone watching everybody I just saw it was a man boiling over and that that comment represented everything so Kristen wasn't because he's quite a noble and upright guy, isn't he? I mean, I know he's having sex with the princess out of wedlock, but, you know, other than that, like I think he's really principled. That makes sense. That does make sense, that anger. So his anger at him is representing what he can't have. Yeah, and that this guy being all cool about, yeah, let's kind of have these cool out of extramarital affairs, isn't it great, we're in it together, is like that's everything he doesn't want to have. That's how I read it. But I just honestly, I for, for a moment, I couldn't quite believe what I'd seen in the scene just with that final shot on on his face. And But I couldn't go back and look at it, you know what I mean? I was just like, oh, my, I kind of really, I did it, I kind of yelped at it. It was, it was pretty graphic. I'm sure there'll be many articles written about this episode for, for probably this specific storyline that does play out. But, yeah, like I just read it as like a hate crime. Like it's just... It's really graphic. It's yeah. the like second gay character you get introduced into the show gets murdered the same episode they're introduced to by the handsome straight dude. I don't know. I ju- I'll be very interested to see what other yeah. people have to say about this particular storyline. J- Jamie's point, even if there was sort of some implied stuff happening in Game of Thrones and people maybe read into other things, there was no implying here. This was a explicit, very clear gay relationship between two men in this episode. And it just ended so unpleasantly which was interesting i see but i see both of what you guys are saying and i find that fascinating i mean we could do a whole podcast just talking about that one scene the gay side of me being a gay man is like why did you take the easy option of doing it that way but then i also now that i've had your insight i feel like it makes sense too so i i see and i've just done some googling and renly was gay him and loris had a relationship Yes. Renly Baratheon and Loras Tyrrell in the Game of Thrones. So, and they were openly gay. So I'm not, I'm not saying it's not novel, but it, you know, there were definitely gay undertones or overtones or whatever we want to say in, in, in Game of Thrones as well. So the other major theme for me in this was Queen Alicent. I think there was a comment about her wearing green. A, she arrived late to the ball um, or the feast. She kind of interrupted her husband, the King's speech, with quite a theatrical entrance, she then left the table and, you know, it was, it was a clear demonstration for the first time we've seen her rejecting the king or, or really not towing the party line. And, yeah, just the, the impact that would have had in front of all of those guests. Beginning of what I think will be a lot more from Alison. I find her annoying, to be honest. I don't quite understand her anger. Like, she's made choices and Rhaenyra has forgiven her, so to speak, and, you know, held out the olive branch and come to terms with the fact that she didn't have a choice but to become her mother, stepmother. And then 
she's judging Rhaenyra for trying to find her path as well. I find that really frustrating. It's not a criticism of the show itself because I know they've got to set that up for future episodes and that rivalry and where it comes from. But I just think that Alison comes across as this petulant little kid who really has no idea when Princess Rhaenyra is much more understanding and developed and open. Yeah. And Jamo, you said it well before about the the king, you know, not understanding the complexity or, or, or quite clocking the full range of his daughter. I really felt that in this episode as well. Like he just, he hadn't connected with the queen since he returned from, you know, the engagement trip and he's clearly not well. Um, he calls for her. She's not there. Normally she's waiting for him. You know, he collapses by the sea as well upon arrival by the water and she sees it and she's watching over, but she's not there kind of rushing to his side. So this is certainly an episode where we saw a, a shift in the dynamic in their relationship, didn't we? He, I thought he died at one point when he was was there and then he, he is at the wedding table looking okay. But I, I honestly thought he was literally about to cark it. Well, over the, over the five episodes, he's got increasingly less okay. <laughs> it does feel like his frailty is sort of progressing quite quickly. Yeah, because we're is it kind yeah. of, I suppose we're in probably another year or mm. episode. We haven't kind of time leaped too much in this. He's been having health issues from ep one. So, yeah. Yeah. I thought the scene between Corliss and King Viserys was fascinating and basically the king king capitulating like there's multi layers to him he's a good man i think in principle who is trying to do the best for what he's supposed to be carrying on and that means taking one for the team so to speak with Corlys who is actually taking the piss at a point yeah you know? so he agrees for his children to not carry his name until the point that his daughter takes the throne that's the compromise you're talking about. I thought it was fascinating. I also thought it was interesting in terms of this series being very much around the dynamic between men and women and, and the power roles that are going on. And Princess Rina, the queen that never, never, never was, was yeah. is letting her husband do all the power playing. Mm. And I kind of feel like he's yeah, it's a good, doing it's a good it question because he obviously look like an, an idiot anyway. Because what's your point, mate? Like, <laughs> it's your wife, your wife that's the one that I don't know. Like, what's his end game? His end game is to have power. She is more about respecting the legacy of House Targaryen. See, in an earlier episode, was you know seen meeting with Damon and kind of stirring and participating in the wars. You know, kind of getting involved because he's got his shipping channels and he's, he's he's kind of big in that world, isn't that where his funds are coming from? So, you know, is he doing that for security and to maintain power, or is yeah, is he trying to avenge his wife's misfortune when she got passed over? I don't know. It's a really interesting comment. I think the um the politicking in this one. I think this episode set up set us up for a big next episode. I really, really mm. enjoyed this episode. I think there was a lot, a lot going on and the characters really betting down. And I think will Alison and, and Princess Renee has come together or will this further separate them? I still feel like when they're younger, they're still tied to that, that young friendship. I just feel like as they get older, this is going to, is going to take off between them. The way the queen acted at that, at that wedding, um, I think is a signal of, of a further split to come. So, yeah, we are at the halfway point, and as Ali said, and as you may have gotten the gist, a lot happened in this episode. So episode <laughs> six will be very interesting. But, yes, I am I'm very keen to see what the rest of the world thinks, thinks of Ep5. Episode five is streaming for you now on Binge. Uh, new episodes of House of the Dragon are available each Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Um, and every episode of Game of Thrones, of course, is also streaming for you right now. If Ramirez succeeds him, 
will follow. Comedian and viral sensation Jimmy Reese brings his sold-out comedy show, Meanwhile in Australia, to binge on September 27th. With millions of views across social media, Jimmy brings his unique comedic voice to binge's first original comedy special. Last year, I went a little bit viral for a silly video called The Packaging Guy. What about scissors? Put scissors in plastic packaging, the kind you need scissors to open, Jason. (laughs) Ali... JMO, I assume like everyone else with a phone in this country, we've um, been served up a Jimmy Reese video at some point in the last two years. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally vibing him. I think he's unreal banana peel. He's kind of this a surprise Australian superstar that's come out of COVID lockdown. You know, there's different various people all around the world that have, that have done that. And he's been around for a long time. But this, is, this was his transition from kids entertainer to adult comedian yeah this is like uh, not his first rodeo he uh, hosted giggle and hoot on abc kids for like a decade but for a lot of people covid was kind of their like artistic moment where they really broke through and i think what jimmy does so well both in his um online stuff and what he has turned into this amazing stage show which is just sold out everywhere and we're so excited we can bring it to an audience who haven't been able to physically make it to see one of the live performances i think what he does so well and what sort of came out of COVID is he nails this relationship we have to where we're from. Like I didn't know what an LGA was or what LGA I lived in before COVID. (laughs) Not an IGA, an LGA. (laughs) And so much of his humour comes from like what it means to be from Hobart or Canberra or Sydney or what it meant to live in in an LGA of concern versus a um, metropolitan Sydney versus greater Sydney. And there's all those little nuances, which I think before COVID, there's the odd cliche about one suburb in Sydney versus the other. But I think we all got like a sudden, very blunt realisation of where we lived during COVID. And I think that's what Jimmy has brought so much humour to. He has. And didn't he do a great job during um, COVID? Because I think the first time I came across him was when Sydney hadn't had our big 2021 lockdown. It was when we were kind of, before we kind of knew we were going into three or four months of lockdown. And he was, he was, his character, the kind of the Sydney sider who was like, oh, Melbourne, oh, poor you. Like, and that's what we'd been like. Are we, you know, <laughs> we've got so many friends in Melbourne. My husband's from Melbourne. And every time we spoke to our Melbourne friends, we're like, oh my God, we're so sorry. It must have been so bad. We've actually been okay up here, you know. And then boom, we went into lockdown. He was just so funny. And just, yeah, how, how cool that he's made the leap. Like being a kid's entertainer, you can, I'd imagine you could get quite typecast or quite like locked in that. Yeah. He's just exploded, hasn't he? So it's very, very funny. It's an over an hour of his concert at the Enmore Theatre in Sydney. So there is a little bit more of the Sydney parodies going on. One would, you'd say, I haven't seen a Melbourne one. Yeah. And I think what's also really impressive is uh, there's a lot of stuff that happened during COVID that we've forgotten about. There were a lot of, you know, memes and jokes and very specific moments in time, but even watching this now in 20, 22 in a relatively, you know, we're post worrying about what LGA you live in or how many kilometers you can go away. I still found it so funny and engaging to watch it. And it didn't feel, it didn't feel particularly of its time. It still felt really relevant and funny. And I feel like he, some of the characters that he's developed are going to live well past, live, on. The, live well past the COVID jokes and the, but it's a good point, isn't it? Because often in television, I was talking to someone the other day, is it too soon to put code references in shows? You know, you d- will it date them? Is it too much? Is it too 
soon people are still scarred, but he, yeah, his humor's still, it's found a really good way to remember it, you know, laugh at it, but also help when we're going through it. Whereas, yeah, so many other COVID jokes already feel really passe and this does not. He has created some enduring Chris Lilly, like almost characters that will still be laughed at and rolled out in the years to come. Yeah, I think when you say Chris Lilly, yes, for sure. But he's also, uh, I think, a bit more sophisticated, not necessarily than Chris Lilly, but it's just he's smart. He's really capitalised on it in a beautiful way, tapped into that zeitgeist that isn't dated, as you've just said, and ensured longevity. He was kind of as giggle and hoot. I, I've been to events and he's been there and the mum's, maybe dads too, were like getting photos with him because he kind of was the sex symbol of kids entertainers. And so he's done a beautiful job of transitioning out of that and into being cool, uh, which is not easy, out of kids entertainment. Yeah, it's a really fun special. Recommend it. Um, Great thing to flop on the couch and watch on a Friday, Saturday night. So Jimmy Reese, meanwhile in Australia, uh, Binge's first original comedy special is streaming from September 27th. When you wipe someone else's ass. You use wet wipes. But when you wipe your own ass, dry paper. There's not a nurse on the ward. Mr. Johnson needs a cleanup. Okay, just give me a bedpan and some A4. Let's do it! In terms of dinner party, last time I said uh, the 12, and I still loved the 12. I, I needed, after the second last episode i needed to give myself a little bit of a break i didn't want to watch i wanted to hold on to that anticipation so on. so i left it a week or two and i just watched it uh yesterday and wow what a great like the whole show just comes together so beautifully and secretly annoyingly i am not the person that waits to find things out so i did google and <gasps> find out the ending but it still didn't ruin it for me and i just think it's beautiful i don't know how you do you reckon they'll do another season of that because there's there's so much more of those characters that i want to find more out about but i also don't know how you could continue that story yeah it's a good so this is you're the first time we've ever had a dinner party recommendation do a, a repeat dinner party recommendation which is probably the sign of a very good recommendation you've stuck through 10 episodes you've had time to think about it and don't you love it when a good story stays with you on the 12 i'd imagine it more almost being like an anthology like that's a standalone story could you bring the format back with new jurors new crime and you kind of look at a look at another crime through the same kind of structure and lens because I think the the way it yeah brought bias and and just the the depth of different opinion to it was so clever and refreshing and just having such a big ensemble cast like having so many characters to follow and also if I can recommend another one because I can't stop love me they're shooting the second season of love me uh, I cannot recommend it more highly Aww. in the same vein as as the 12 it's just you know binge and foxtel do this beautiful brilliant job of creating this awesome drama yeah love me is awesome so if you haven't seen that watch it get involved because the next season i hear is going to be incorrect it is we're just in the we're finalizing the scripts we've been working hard on it so yeah we can't wait to share more news on love me soon great recommendations thank you so much Damo, for joining us i know you're on deadline you've got stories to break so much to do but you're a hot d fan we love having you on the show thank you so much for joining us my pleasure thanks for having me uh, this week on Skip Intro, we discussed episode five of House of the Dragon, the upcoming binge original comedy special, Jimmy Reese, Meanwhile in Australia. And JMO gave us the Australian original The Twelve, which all episodes are streaming for you now, and 
Love Me, season one, binge original streaming for you now and season two on its way. Everything we've just discussed is streaming for you right now on binge or will be very soon. My name is John Baum, joined by Ali Herbert Burns. Jamo, thanks again so much for joining us. This podcast was produced by Dan Barrett with audio editing and mixing by Chris Yates. And we'll be back next week with more House of the Dragon and more Skip Intro.